On September 25, 2013, a series of, of strange social media postings, texts, and 911 calls led concerned friends of 27-year-old Seminole tribal member Owachiki Osceola to her apartment in Norman, Oklahoma. Only later for the police to find her apartment in disarray and her lifeless body discovered inside. The Norman police have still yet to charge anyone with her murder and a $40,000 cash reward for new information leading to an arrest of the person or persons responsible for her death remains unclaimed. This is the story of Owachiki Osceola. Hey guys, this is Osh. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie. And you're listening to We Are Resilient. Gosh, guys, this is a hot mess already. But we're trying we're trying to coordinate between babies and kids and working out on all of our busy schedules. So And Shiashi's sitting in the in the closet with no air conditioning. It's eighty-three degrees. My air conditioning is broken, but I am committed. I am here. You're in the hot pod. Yes, I am committed to the cause. I literally just got back from CrossFit. I had enough time to grab me a bowl of beans for dinner and I am here and I am ready. Are you clipping your toenails? Oh, can you hear that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what the hell, Shiashi? I'm multitasking. I was just going to say, we are so busy that we have to multitask. <laughs> Hold on. Let me go get my laundry out of the dryer so I can put it up while I share this story today. Okay. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Oh my gosh, that, but that's funny. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> so if you're still tuned in with us, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners just for sticking with us. What episode are we on, Shashi? This is 20. 20 episodes yeah. in 2020. So it's 2022. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh my gosh, what is happening today, guys? <laughs> Listen, I'm glad I'm not the statistics person on this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, and you were just thanking our listeners for sticking with this so far. Oh my gosh, they're going to tune out after this hot mess. She's two years behind. <laughs> I do love that Osh called you out, though, because I kept hearing that and I was thinking, what's that noise? I know, and I didn't even think about it while I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whew. Okay, we're back. We are in 2022. All right, Ash, you're up. <laughs> 20th episode in 2022. How about that? All right, everybody take a breath. If you're listening, we're getting back on track. I apologize for the chaos that just happened. So this is a story of Owachiki Elise Osceola. Oh my gosh, that's a beautiful name. Osceola is a common name in Seminole country, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. It's a common name? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you about it here in just a second. But Owachiki grew up on the Big Cypress Reservation, Florida. She'd recently been divorced and moved to a new city, Norman, Oklahoma. Owachiki means star in the Seminole language, and that is exactly what she was. A bright star and everyone knew of her and loved her. She was also a descendant of Chief Osceola. And that's, um, like Maggie was saying, was a pretty common name, popular name um, of the Seminole people. The Seminoles of Florida called themselves the Unconquered People. 
descendants of just 300 Indians who managed to elude capture by the U.S. Army in the 19th century. Today, more than 2,000 live on six reservations in the state, located in Hollywood, Big Cypress, Brighton, Immokalee, Fort Pierce, and Tampa. The Seminoles work hard to be economically independent, and to this day they've jumped into a number of different industries. Tourism and bingo profits pay for infrastructure and schools on the reservations, while citrus groves and cattle have replaced early 20th century trade in animal hides and crafts as the tribe's primary revenue source. While becoming more economically diverse, the Seminoles also maintain respect for the old ways. Some still live in open, palm-thatched dwellings called chickies, wearing clothing that is an evolution of traditional styles, and some celebrate the passing of the seasons just as their ancestors did more than two centuries ago. They also visit schools and festivals across the state, performing traditional dances and music to share their history. A very proud people, for sure. I feel like I say this every episode, but I'm not familiar with the Seminole tribe at all. All I know is that they are based out of Florida. I'm somewhat familiar just because of the aspect that we play sports against them. We play basketball tournaments there. They come here and play, and as well as other um, tribes of the five tribes on this East Coast. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the tribe and the people, but not really their history so much. Yeah, I have a friend who has quite a few friends that are Seminole, um, and they come visit quite a bit. But don't the Seminoles, they've They've done really well for themselves, actually. Their leadership has invested in a lot of really profitable profitable things. And don't they have some sort of investment in the Hard Rock? I don't even know what it's called. Hard Rock. Are you talking about the Hard Rock Cafe? I'm pretty sure they own Hard Rock. Yeah, I think that's right. On September 25th, 2013, the Norman police were called to conduct a welfare check at Ridgecrest Court in Norman, Oklahoma, where Wachakee lived. Her friends became worried when they had not heard from her or been able to contact her. You see, they seen a weird post on her Facebook that read, quote, Moose is trying to KM. They didn't fully understand what that meant, but she did know someone named Moose. Tony Brown, who was one of her friends, was at home in Andarco when she seen the Facebook post. And then she received a text message reading the exact same thing. Moose is trying to KM. She became even more worried and called three of her friends to see if they'd heard anything or knew anything. And since they didn't, the four of them made the long drive to her house in Norman. So, of course, they were just worried about their friend, wanted to check on her since they hadn't heard from her. Well, when they arrived, they seen her door was opened from being kicked in and immediately became worried. They noticed a shoe print on the door and the frame had been splintered and immediately called the cops. Oh, my gosh. What did they see when they went in there? They did not enter the apartment. Okay, that was probably smart. When the police arrived, they noticed the apartment was a mess. Stuff everywhere, cabinets open. They called for a watch key, but there was no answer. They went to the upstairs part of the apartment, and that's where they found her. She was laying face down on the floor with the sheets and blankets covering her. It appeared she'd been deceased a while, but they didn't see any visible wounds. So what was the condition of her apartment? The bedroom, the kitchen, the living room, everything was a mess. Oh, no. Stuff thrown everywhere, just disarray. Her cell and wallet were missing, so their first thought was, could it be a robbery? The police went back outside to let her friends know what they found. And of course, they were shocked. And then they asked if her little girl was in the apartment. Her little girl? The police immediately went back in to look for her. And one was directed to call the father. And he did. Luckily, the little girl was with her father back in Indarco. Oh, thank God. Awachiki had full custody of their little girl. And it just so happened that that week she went to stay with her dad. 
um, they had just recently been divorced. And so they wanted to bring him in for questioning. Just, I mean, you know, sometimes when things like this happen. Yeah, it's pretty common for them to go to the partner or ex-partner or boyfriend, ex-boyfriend in these situations. Yeah. And since they had recently been divorced, you know, that was one of the first people that they went to. So they started questioning Tony who was a Portuguese friend, and she let them know about the odd messages that she had seen, the one on Facebook, as well as the text message she got. A Portuguese always texts in full text sentences and hardly ever uses abbreviations, so it was just an odd message her friends told the police. She'd been dating this man named Moose, and her friends um, stated that he lived in a nearby town, and so the police located him, and he was about 30 minutes from Norman. And like, like her friends, he was shocked to hear the news. He was also willing to talk and to cooperate with police. And according to sources, this person had a credible alibi and he was not a suspect. So the police, you know, are investigating this break in, this murder, and they learn about two 911 calls that was made from Awachiki's apartment early on the morning she was murdered. Awachiki made the call and in the first one, it was hard to make out what she was saying. In the first call, she sounds muffled and you can barely hear someone's voice in the background it was a man's voice and he was saying hang up hang up Ooh. and her voice was just it was it was muffled you couldn't really understand what she was saying it sounded it kind of sounded like she was crying but then she calls right back and in the second message she tells the operator that she called by mistake and that everything is fine now in this second uh 911 call she sounded calm and you could understand all of her words so as they're investigating these 911 calls, you know, they interviewed the 911 caller or I'm sorry, the 911 operator and find out that police were not dispatched to the apartment since they received the second call. So she just kind of shook it off. You know, everything's fine. We don't need to send anybody. Well, it's their protocol to send someone just in case, just to check. Uh, Yeah, I was about to say just brushing it off seems very, very negligent. I was going to say, especially when the first call, they said they could hear someone in the back saying, hang up. Exactly. So during this internal investigation, they had to let the operator go due to the neglect of not sending a police officer. You know, if she had sent someone or he, I don't know if it was a man or woman, but if they had sent someone, would have stopped the incident? Or what would have happened if they had just sent someone just to check? The phone calls did give clues that she was still alive at 6 a.m. when the calls were made on September 24th and that she was not alone. You know what, Ash, as you're telling us about these 911 calls, it's just well, it's scary that you're hearing somebody in the background say hang up. The fact that nobody showed up for her when she was clearly trying to find a way to get help. That just that breaks my heart. That's what's so yeah. sad. And I'm sure that those people feel guilt, you know, like not understanding what she was trying to do or say. Yeah. yeah. Especially in retrospect. Yes. So police officers sent word to the police in Florida to let Roberta, her mother, know of what happened to Awashiki. So Roberta received the news of Awashiki and she immediately flew out to Oklahoma and went to her apartment. When she got there, she saw the door was kicked in and that the apartment was a wreck. Her mother felt whoever broke into the apartment was there to take something from her. She talked about having to replace the keys, her Cadillac, her purse, and her bank account was emptied out. So, you know, it looks like it might have been a robbery. A robbery gone bad. The police continued their investigation, and they started tracking her bank account and confirmed she had last used it on September 23rd, the day before, to withdraw $500 from an ATM at a nearby gas station. 
So in the video, they used it to confirm that it was her that withdrew the money. They noted the clothes she was wearing because it was the same clothes she was wearing when they found her in her apartment. Another $500 was taken from an ATM at a casino on September 24th after the incident. The autopsy showed that she had had intercourse recently but did not know if it was consensual or a sexual assault. They also learned that she had dealings with a guy named Rob Ross, or known as Just Cocaine Rob, and he had a long history. Okay, wait, 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 wait one second. I'm sorry. His name was what? His name was Just Cocaine Rob? Is that like his middle name or what? <laughs> I guess he didn't like Rob Ross. Well, that's not suspicious. They'll never know what he does. They found Rob and Wachke had been communicating on the phone up until the morning of September 24th. So they keep looking at phone records. And like stated earlier, the last text from her phone was to Tony that stated Moose is trying to KM. But it wasn't sent from her apartment. It was sent from a nearby casino, the Riverwind Casino, which was a few miles away. Also, the same place her ATM was last used on the day she was murdered. So police obtained surveillance footage from the casino and Rob, a.k.a. just cocaine Rob, was seen there. They spotted him at salt machines, walking around the casino, talking to people. And at 7.23 a.m., he used the ATM machine that matched Awachiki's bank statements. So because of the surveillance footage, they were able to ID a woman Rob was with at the casino. So they bring her in to question. She admitted to being with him that night and that he was her dealer. She gave him a ride to an apartment in Norman. She dropped him off across the street from some apartments and she waited for like over an hour. And then he called and asked her to pick him up at a stop sign down the street. Now, she described him as being sweaty and acting odd when he got back in the car. She then took him straight to the casino at his request and they got there at 7.15 a.m. And at 7.17 a.m., two minutes later, is when Iwachiki's Facebook post uh, read Moose is trying to KM on her status. It was seen. Oh. On footage. Yeah, it was seen on footage. He threw something in the trash. They leave the casino at 808 a.m. So she fully cooperated with the police and took them back through that night. She showed them where she dropped him off, which was close to Wachke's apartment. They don't find hard evidence to connect him, however. So look at his phone records. He had sent some text messages to his friends and used the same spelling that was used in a Wachakee's Facebook post. He spelled trying, Trina, T-R-Y-N-A. So if you remember earlier when I stated that her friends said she always spelled everything out. She didn't use abbreviations. So this was kind of, you know, suspicious. So it looks like he's the guy. The way things look, at, look, it all points to him. But it was hard to track him down. Because someone with the name, just Cocaine Rob, he lived with other people. He kind of moved from couch to couch. He didn't have a home, and he was here and there. So they had a little trouble tracking him down, but eventually they did. On October 5th, they picked him up, and surprisingly, he was willing to cooperate. He states, okay, I was there that night, and we had some drinks and had sex. He said she gave him her debit card with the PIN number. He maintains he did not kill her. He said he went to the casino and then went back home to attend an aunt's funeral. The autopsy findings came back and her death was listed as unknown. Even with the injuries on the back of her neck that was noticed by the police, even the manner of how she passed was undetermined, meaning they didn't know if it was accidental or murder. Because they didn't know how she passed, they couldn't arrest Rob. 
Okay, how can they say they didn't know if this was an accident? She was face down with like bedding covering her. I I don't understand. The toxicology report showed no alcohol or drugs in her system. So how did she end up with a kicked in door, a trashed apartment, blood in her apartment, and how did she end up dead? In 2017, Detective Parks reopened the case, and in 2019, they looked back into the case and discovered that she was murdered. One of his FBI contacts had the Armed Forces Medical Examiner's Office in Maryland review the records. Six years later, the federal medical examiner reported homicide by unknown means and provided a report to support the homicide. Detective Parks gave everything to to the district attorney's office, and they said that we have to stick with the state medical examiner's autopsy findings. They did not file the new findings. That happens a lot, by the way. Does it? Yep. Why would they not? Because it could be persuaded or it could be influenced if it's an outside official is what they say. I have loved ones who are in law enforcement and they basically said like it takes like an act of Congress to overturn whatever the the medical examiner that's assigned to that county states. Yeah, they were not they did not file the new findings and they rejected them. Yeah, exactly like you said, it it's not fair. I wish I could say I was surprised, but the more and more we do these cases and the longer we do this podcast, I am just mind blown over how much lack of justice and how flawed the justice system really is. I I I it it's baffling that there could be so much injustice with a lot of these cases, with most of these cases. Yeah. It just feels like there's no justice in our justice system. It's crazy. And even the Seminole tribe asked for an independent review of the methodology of a Wachagee's autopsy. And still, at their request, nothing was done. Yeah, so her death is still classified as unknown and undetermined, even with the bruises that she had on the back of her neck. So what you're telling us right now is that just cocaine Rob is still out there just wandering the streets. Yep. To this day, no arrests have been made. But you know, why didn't they check like the casino cameras and verify his story? There's no way he was at the casino at the time he said he was. No, they did. And he was there? Yeah, they, he left. He left her house. So the 911 calls were around 6 a.m. They got to the casino at 7.15 a.m. And at 7.17 is when the Facebook post, Moose is trying to KM, was posted on Awachiki's Facebook. And it shows them leaving the casino at 8.08. He walked around, played slot machines. That's when he um, used the ATM and withdrew the $500 out of her account. So he wasn't at the casino long, a little less than an hour. I was just going to say what's really sad is that we know that they can put the effort in and the resources in for certain cases. And it always feels like for indigenous cases that that just never happens. Like all they would have to do is dig into his story a little bit more, question him more, you know, talk to people that he talks to and associates with. And I'm sure that they could get a lot more information, but it sounds like they just didn't. Exactly. Her friends, her ex-husband, her boyfriend, And family were all questioned, they all cooperated, and they all checked out. Only one person was put at her apartment on the night and morning of her death. So that's just it. So this is where we're at. We know who was last seen with her, who was last in the house. We have the witness. We have all these things, but there's not 
a damn thing we can do about it. You know what bothers me is that they said that her death was listed as undetermined because they didn't know if it was an accident or a homicide. But her house was ransacked, pretty much. And she was face down with sheets on top of her. So how would that be an accident? Like she didn't accidentally, you know, do any of that to her home and then end up in that position. There's no way it could be an accident. But that's that's always like a possibility. Yeah. And there was blood. There was blood in the apartment as well. So it is frustrating and it's heartbreaking to know that signs point to someone, but there's no way to bring them forward because of the manner of the autopsy report. You know, I don't know what laws or regulations are in place, but there should be some rules or like something, a safety net for whenever an autopsy comes back as undetermined. There should be a requirement that a second autopsy is done. Exactly. Why just leave it as like, well, we don't know. Case closed. And then the body gets sealed up and then all that stuff's gone. And then, you know, the family buries the body and then you probably never get any of that back. You know, any evidence. We just watched the, um, the show about Chris Watts. And that one is like, like Asha's saying, like yeah. not everyone is like creepy and, you know, makes you believe that they're a killer because his family seemed perfect. And then all of a sudden he got a girlfriend when his wife went out of town and then he killed his whole family and boldface lied about it and begged for her to come home. Like people are crazy and you don't realize it. Well, a neighbor called the cops and he's like, yeah, come on in, you know, let them in his house and cooperated and wants justice for his murdered family or missing family. And the whole time it was him. Yeah, he went on the news and asked for someone to bring his family home. It just goes to show you never really know who people really are. Most people don't put themselves out there like, this is me, like a, like a, what's his lips, just cocaine Rob. Or maybe he was trying to throw people off track and lay low with his name. (laughs) Don't be suspicious. (laughs) Why would you give yourself that nickname? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of my life. I just, it's. Sharing these stories, like I know we have a purpose and I know that we want to bring awareness and I know that we want to give the family respect and and to let them know that, you know, Awachiki matters. Awachiki's story is important. But having to read these stories and share these stories is so hard because they're tragic and there's no justice for these victims. And it's hard. It's hard to share these stories. But I know that we need to share these stories because we want Awachiki to be known for her, for who she was and the beautiful life that she had. I just can't imagine the pain these families go through. You know, not only do you lose a loved one, but then you don't have any justice. I just, that's always hard for me to imagine how I would feel. So to this day, no arrests have been made to bring justice for Awachiki. If you have any information, please call the Norman Police Department in Oklahoma at 405 405- Three six six five two zero eight. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com. <laughs>